It was our mother who called me to say that Jonathan had died, and I thought that he must have been struck by lightning when he was chasing a thunderstorm or that maybe he got too close to a tornado. Jonathan was obsessed by the weather when we were kids, and he once told me that the clouds were his friends and that they had formed to protect him from the sun, which he thought was trying to cook him for dinner. He often talked about the weather trying to kill him, but I never thought it would lead to Jonathan killing himself. My father wouldn't go to Jonathan's funeral, and I didn't want to go either, but I drove my mother down to Missouri for it. After we buried him, we stayed to sort through his belongings. We gave some of his furniture away to Goodwill, and then we rented a dumpster to throw almost everything else of his away. His house was filled with so many things that nobody else would want. But I saved all of the short letters that Jonathan had written in the last days of his life— I also saved a box filled with things that Jonathan had saved from his own life, old family photographs, crayon drawings, yellowed newspaper clippings, pages that were torn out of an encyclopedia, report cards, notes that his teachers sent home, a story he wrote about a summer vacation that our family never took, x-rays from his dentist, his birth certificate, his marriage certificate, his divorce papers, nearly any written document. The letters are written to nearly everybody Jonathan ever knew. But I don't know why he wrote to the Easter Bunny, to Santa Claus, to our high school, or to a few people who he knew were dead. I don't know why there were so many short letters to so many different people. I don't know why there wasn't just one suicide letter to everybody, and I don't know why he never sent the letters either. I read all of the letters, but I still didn't understand what had happened to Jonathan. That's why I began asking other people about Jonathan's life. My mother, my father, his ex-wife, anybody I could find who Jonathan named in the letters. I went back home to our old neighborhood and asked some of the neighbors about Jonathan. I talked to the people he went to school with and worked with. I was trying to make some kind of sense out of Jonathan's life— but I didn't believe most of what these other people told me. My mother didn't want to talk about Jonathan, but she let me read over thirty years of her diaries. She said that most of what I wanted to know would be in them, and I have included many excerpts from them here, even though many of the entries seemed doubtful to me. I also got in touch with Jonathan's ex-wife, Sarah, who seemed to resent the fact that I was giving Jonathan so much attention now— when I had given him so little while he was alive. She allowed me, though, to include excerpts from the eulogy that she gave at Jonathan's funeral. Still, it wasn't until I started to ask my father questions about Jonathan that I began to understand his childhood and what my father must have been like for him and also for my mother. I began to realize that I had been wrong about a lot of things concerning Jonathan. You will see what I mean. I have included parts of those conversations here, too. Now I know that Jonathan's life was difficult and painful, and I am ashamed that I did not recognize that fact even though I lived in the same house with him for half of my life. Jonathan's life broke, and his mind broke, and everything was in pieces. It is all still in pieces. Jonathan left all of these fragments behind— and I have tried to put them back together in some kind of order. I hope that this holds him together. Robert Bender, 
July 25, 2007, Lansing, Michigan.